Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the one who was, who is, and who is to come, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, please be seated. The words of that hymn that Alex chose and Carissa played is phenomenal. The Western church over the last 40 years, we don't talk too much about the end unless we have a funeral or something that causes us to think of something grander and bigger than just here and now and the next thing that we got we to gotta do. Hymns like that in scriptures, as Dr. Sankbile read, get us thinking about life being a, a journey and a pilgrimage and that there is an end. There is a destination. We're not just kind of out in the desert wandering around hoping for the best. There is a destination. And so if there's a destination, then the question is, well, where, where are you going? Where... Where are you going? On our house now, Fridays are somewhat sacred. We babysit our grandson who is currently holding court in the nursery this morning, but he comes into Grandma and Grandpa's house, and of course the first thing he says is, Grandma, followed closely by Papa, and then he runs around the place, and I like to say, where are you going? Where are you going, crew? Where's crew going? And sometimes he's just running around the island in the kitchen because that's what little toddler guys do. He's looking to maybe share a Pop-Tart with his grandpa who's always too willing to oblige. Maybe he's going into the backyard to feed the fish. He really enjoys that. And the morning is not really started until he has thrown a few kernels of fish food into the pond and we have lovingly kept him from eating some of the fish food him himself. Somehow he's fascinated with wheels, so the answer to the question, where are you going, is my grandson is going to the side of the house to check the wheels on the garbage bins to make sure they're there. Where he's trying to get is upstairs sometimes, but he can't take a step at a time, and without grandma or grandpa's hand, he can't make it up the stairs at all. But those little legs move a little faster than that little Klinkenberg brain, and he thinks he can take it a step at a time. And so, where is he going? Well, when he's going upstairs, we're right there with and behind him. Where are you going? Humanity has been asking that question for a long, long time. In our reading this morning from the prophet Daniel, the prophet addresses that, and he addresses it from a place that stinks. The people of Israel always look back to to the time of David and Solomon when they were big and tough and strong in a wealthy country, and they had it all together, and everything was great. And that memory is burned into the hearts of the Israelites, into the hearts of, of Yahweh's people. Now they're sitting in a country far, far away as a defeated people serving pagans and struggling with identity and direction. Where are you going? 
And Daniel rises up and says, well, it may be that all you see is chaos, violence, and the distress around you. And you say, where are we going? And the prophet rises up and he says, God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. God is with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the covenant of the Lord God was with the people, even though where they were going hooked a U-turn and led them in a place they thought they'd never be, captivity, slavery, far, far away from their homes and farms. The year, about 530 B.C., God's people have been saying, where are we going and what about us since long before the time of Christ? And I'm reminded that same question, that same kind of gnawing in our souls is, is, is ours today as well. The number one asked questions of the clergy over the last 18 months is, is this the end? Are we finally getting to our destination? And maybe you've even found yourself looking at culture and wars and rumors of wars and all of the pieces from Mark's gospel. And you nod your head and you say, you know what? Maybe we're getting to the end. Maybe this is it. Perhaps you've looked at the California drought. Perhaps you've flown over the Mojave, uh, the, 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 the Colorado River. Perhaps you've looked at, at the earth kind of running down. And you say, where will we end up? And how will we get there? And what will it be like? Where is humanity going? And perhaps in the frustration that you felt, you've prayed the prayer of the prophets from even before Daniel In Psalm 13, in Habakkuk 1, verse 2, all over the place in the Old Testament, the people of God have prayed, how long? How long? When will we get to the end? Where are we going? Daniel's pretty clear on that. Humanity is going one of two places. It's a binary deal. There's no negotiating that goes on with God at the end. There's no amount of money you can pay, no amount of service you can render. It's a, it's a binary deal. Daniel writes, Multitudes who sleep in dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, where are we going? Well, we're all headed to the ground because that's where we came from. And one day, Michael, who protects, will sound the trumpet and humanity will be raised up. And some are lost and gone and others will go to be with the Lord. We, we will go to be with the Lord. The promise of God from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is that we will go and meet the Lord and be saved in Christ for heaven forever. For those of us who struggle with where the world is headed, take heed of Daniel's prophecy. The end will come and everything and every purpose will be laid out and made overt. And it will be seen and shown that God's promises are real in the lives of His people. And things will all work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. And not so good 
for those who are not. You'll know that I'll be nearing my retirement when I do a six-week sermon series about how hot hell is. I don't like to preach about that, and I don't like to think about that. But when the shade goes up, the people are in, in the Lord will be saved, and those who are not, I always think will shake their heads and go, <laughs> those nutty followers of the Lord God. They were right all along. The people of Daniel's time were always looking forward. The Old Testament people were always looking forward. The moment when the ancient prophecies would be fulfilled was their goal. They looked forward to a virgin conceiving and bearing a child. They looked forward to the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. God keeping his promises to bring about their redemption. That was what the whole Old Testament pushed towards. The healing, the release from prison, the slavery of sin. And God kept His promises, the writer of Hebrews reminds us. God kept His promises. God did His work. And when His Son was lifted up on the cross, the doorway and our doorway to God was opened by the one who said to His disciples plainly, I am the gate, I am the door for the sheep. And those from ancient times looked forward and their faith was credited to them as righteousness. And we who wonder look back to the sacrifice of Jesus and we have our hopes sealed in His blood. The conversation is awesome. I love, I, I love the conversation among the disciples. They're walking around through Jerusalem. You kind of see Him as young men going, Hey, this is pretty boss, Jesus. Look at these buildings. Ain't it awesome that we're here? We're just a bunch of fishermen from a little town in Capernaum or whatnot. And whoa, here we are in the big, thriving metropolis of Jerusalem. Jesus says, you got to be kidding me. It's not going to be that way. While the, disciples, while the disciples' scale was one thing, Jesus was another. One of the most stunning pieces of architecture that I've ever seen and ever been in is the Sears Tower in Chicago. Have you ever seen that? It's a miracle. How they built that is phenomenal. But I remember standing in line, and I'm like, what am I standing in line for? This is dumb. What am I? Can't we go have lunch or something? I don't want to stand. This is going to be dumb. Then you get in this elevator, and it's so fast that your ears pop going to the top. And you get out, and you look, and you've gone from street level to 108 stories. And it's 1,450 feet above the street. It's huge! And the trusses are on the outside, not the inside, but you engineers can check that out. It's a whole different way that building was made that allowed it to be so tall. On the deck of the, the building, if you've been there at the very top, there's bubbles that pop out of the side of the building. And if you're a little bit crazy, you can walk out maybe three feet into this bubble. You can clunk your head against the grass, glass, and you can actually look back down at the building from where you're standing. 
It's unreal. And then you can go have lunch, which is the best part of the deal. <laughs> I remember getting dizzy looking down and having to back off. That building is amazing. It's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. But amazing as that building is, it's temporary, as is this building. As is every building that humanity has ever built is temporary. Some thousand plus years temporary, other hundreds of years temporary, others are blown over and blown off day by day temporary. One day all this stuff, Jesus says, all this stuff that seems so big and so eternal and so long lasting, one day it'll all be gone away. And it's super hard where we sit and who we are to look at stuff as temporary. It's just difficult because all we know is here and now and what we see in eternity we see through faith, through the lens of our Lord. This morning our Lord leads us to more than just here and now, just buildings and windows and floors and doors and those things. But as I thought about this text, I thought about how easy it is to get lulled into kind of a cultural coma. For some, the cultural coma comes from the exhaustion of, of having to do so much. The exhaustion of the constant barrage of information and news that's more pervasive than ever in the history of humanity. For some, it's that. There's just too much input, and we're like, you've got to be kidding me. For others, the cultural coma is, is more personal and life and its goodness and the, the insulation that the goodness of our lives provide leads us to kind of a, a, a long-term nap where we can purchase the things that normally would have put generations of people in distress. And it allows us to kind of elevate ourselves above the distress because we can purchase and consume so much, so often. And kind of make ourselves feel like everything's okay. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. The call from Mark chapter 13 is to wake up. Jesus gives his disciples then and now food for thought. The answer to where you are going is we're going to be with Jesus, then the call is to stay awake as we're on the journey. Jesus uses two pieces of, 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 of grammar here that are, that are awesome. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. It's been said that if you stand for nothing that you'll fall for anything. Not so with those who follow Jesus Christ. Watch out. Know and cling to the word and the promise of God. When the people of God were stuck in Babylon, it was sitting around the campfire that they told the stories of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So too in our homes and families, watch out that no one deceives you. Put your words and your thoughts and your lives through the sieve of the scriptures and watch out. The evil one would love to shake our hearts and minds so that we would be apart from Jesus on that last day. Do not be deceived. 
the list of people who've deceived humans and humans who have left house and home for the deserts and the jungles of South America and beyond have been deceived. Watch out. People talk and talk and talk and they are clever. Do not be deceived. Watch out. Put your hearts and minds on Christ Jesus and His Word and you will be rock solid on your way to Jesus. And the second thing the Lord says is be on guard. He says you must be on guard. That's why Sunday is so critical. Sunday is our opportunity to worship. It's our moment to pull ourselves out of the mundane and put ourselves into the holy. We are reminded that the rhythms of eternity supersede the rhythms of the world. When we do what we are doing this morning at this moment, we are on guard. Our consciences are being poked up. When we do what we do today, our hearts are being filled with the truth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And we are being pointed again to the redemptive work of the Lord. Working through millennia, touching our lives and fitting us for heaven. We do what we do today as kind of a marker on the way to be with the Lord. Not merely as spectators on the side but people whose whole lives are connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Pastor, pastor, is this the end? Yes. Or at least live like it's the end. Be on watch. Be on guard. And then at the end, that promise from Mark 13, 13. For some, it's a confirmation verse. You remember from a hundred years ago when you were confirmed and the pastor put his sweaty hand on your greased up hair. And he said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who stands firm to the end, will be saved. Stand firm. Amen.